0: to episode 201 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from our virtual studio, not on the campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary, by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who will soon be planting blueberry bushes in his backyard, John
1: Scott Sloat. Maybe not in the fall, but maybe in the spring we'll look at yeah. some blueberry bushes. Who knows? <laughs> yes,
0: indeed. Yes, indeed. You you I want to explain why? Of... You want to explain why you're you're suddenly in, interested in the possibility of that, John?
1: Um. Well, a I I like blueberries. Uh. B, uh, the speaker at our church this past Sunday spoke about blueberry bushes and his planting escapades with with them and sort of the tips and tricks of blueberry bushes and things like that. They took three mm-hmm. years, I think, to come, to come up, um, and do pr- produce a good harvest. Uh, and so it's just fascinating. And I love, I, lo- I like things that have long-term investment like that. Like I like things that are like, well, you could get some this year, but if you do these three things and you wait another year, you can get a bunch more. I love, I love that stuff. So, Yeah. That's definitely speaking to me. Yeah. As he began he was using that as as an illustration.
0: And the moment he began explaining the whole process of planting it. And then the first year you have to nip the the buds before they produce. Yeah. The the blueberries. And you have to do that basically the first three years and the whole process. I sent you a text
1: in the service. Yep. Which we do from time to time. Yeah. That that happens on occasion. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess we I guess we just confess
0: to our uh, pastor who listens that uh, we do that. So <laughs> but anyway, talking
1: about the sermon, you know, yeah, t- always, talking, always yeah. sermon, always sermon relevant. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, as he began to describe this process, I immediately knew this this has a good chance of becoming the next John Sloat horticultural obsession.
1: We, we planted a blueberry like branch or I don't know what the right thing, a plant, I suppose, a couple of years ago and it just died on us. It didn't do well. Mm-hmm. So, um, we tried to plant it in a container though, which we might try again, or we might try it, you know, in the backyard somewhere.
0: We'll see. Have, we'll see have you done things. the soil analysis? Because apparently you need, I have not. A, you that need was, an that was alkaline and, oh no, you need an acidic soil, Acetic not soil. an alkaline soil. So.
1: I don't know what we have here. Do you know what Indiana has? I, I don't.
0: I don't. But wouldn't wouldn't your wouldn't your father in law be able to assist he you would. in determining he that? Would.
1: He would. He. I mean, he might text me when he listens to this and just yeah. say, "Hey, you have this kind of soil, most likely."
0: Yeah. So David in Indiana. Yeah. All, yes, also have. known as Dave. Yes.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: <laughs> so uh, yeah. So we're we're fresh off of our episode two hundred extravaganza. Yep. Have you uh what are your reflections on 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 episode 200 and the inclusion yeah. of our of our lovely wives?
1: A lot of good feedback. Yeah. Um Yeah, had had people texting me that they enjoyed it, uh, had people stop me at church and tell me they enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of good feedback.
0: Yeah, same here, same here. All right, so if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can find us on Twitter at Pod. You can email the show various and sundry podcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. We are on YouTube. We'd love for you to give us a review and a five star rating. And uh, did you ever check the download numbers that I
1: prompted you to? I did not. I know I never did. Um, I, okay. I'll go check that. Well, I'll upload the, this episode today. So I will, uh, I will check them then. Th- th- they were massive. Like how how massive? Like Dane Ortland, massive. Well, they were. Um,
0: we had a three day stretch, um, where they were, uh, in that in that ballpark. I, I think we had one of our arguably our biggest week, one of our biggest weeks ever, in terms of
1: downloads. So. Let's see Tuesday last week we had 38 67 320 wow Thursday <laughs> yeah. was a good day yeah I don't think we've ever eclipsed 300 on a day
0: I may I don't know I don't know so in any case um yes we are uh we we uh, we appreciate all of the and if we have new listeners which I we must have a few in there somewhere probably We must. um yeah welcome aboard uh you know episode 200 was a great place to jump on so um. All right, John, you ready to talk some sports?
1: Sure, sure.
0: All right, so normally we start with college football, but since we're recording on a Tuesday morning, which is unusual, uh, why don't we start with your J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 who played on Monday night last night?
1: Yeah, not not a good day. <laughs> not a good evening game for the Jets. Uh got trounced by the Chargers. I watched uh, about halfway through the fourth quarter of that game. And when Zach Wilson fumbled for the second time, I, uh, yeah, I that's way past, bed, uh, way, way past your bedtime
0: way past.
1: Yep. yep. I crawled in bed about 11 PM last night. Wow. Yep. Um, I knew it was going to be bad when, uh, when Garrett Wilson fumbled the ball, um, on the first or second offensive drive the jets had. So I, I knew like, okay, when we turn the ball over and we're not forcing turnovers, mm-hmm. this is problematic. Mm-hmm. Um still, I, I mean that defense is elite. Uh that defense will win us games at some point. Um, but uh the offense has to has to put up more than six points against one of the worst passing defenses in the NFL. So it's just gotta be better. Yeah. <clears throat> Did you Did watch you much the... of the game?
0: Uh I probably watched most of the third quarter. And a little into the fourth, probably, but uh, I I saw on social media someone posted a clip of a Chargers player asking Aaron Rodgers after the game. Overheard the so this is audio like overheard. The Chargers player asked Aaron Rodgers, "So when you coming back?" And he says, "Probably a few weeks." I mean,
1: so there's there's hope, John he was throwing 50 yard bombs uh pre yeah um which is unheard of with an achilles I,
0: I i don't have a way to process this like i don't know what sort of voodoo magic he has tapped into but um whatever conspiracy what... theory uh applies here
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i i have no idea he's he's just uh, apparently rehabbing like crazy flies out every sunday for the game i mean he's He's winning that locker room for sure. Uh, yeah. With the guys there, you know. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he flies out from rehab in L.A. every week to be on the sideline, put on a headset and talk mm-hmm. to the guys is is pretty wild. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The the uh, NFL headline that caught my attention the most, as you might imagine, is uh, C.J. Stroud C. had a yeah. monster day on Sunday. Had a very good day. Yeah. Um, He set to be
1: the real deal,
0: set multiple um, NFL rookie records. Uh, Most yardage in a game for a rookie, like 470. uh, Tied the record for um, throwing five touchdown passes without an interception. And probably the most impressive thing is uh, he got the ball, he drove them 75 yards. They were down four. He got the ball back with like 40 seconds left got the ball back and he drove them the length of the field 75 yards in less than 40 seconds and just was throwing uh throwing fire when it comes to just on target and so um he looks like he's legit uh which is exciting exciting
1: yeah you never know I mean no matter how good a guy is in college you just never know how that's going to translate to the pros um you're yeah you know, it's always it's always kind of a crapshoot. You just you just don't know what's going to happen. So I'm excited for him that it's it seems to be working out well. Yeah, and then the other strange
0: story uh, was uh, this Dobbs kid for for the
1: Vikings. Did you see this? Mm-hmm. I saw that they won. I don't I, I don't know much about Dobbs. So basically, they signed him this week.
0: Uh and he came off the bench because there was an injury, I think. And basically, they showed footage of him. He didn't know the names of his teammates out there. And they showed footage of him on the sideline. They were literally teaching him their five snap counts, like right before he's ready to go in. Oh, gosh. Like, just like, even as they're calling in plays, they're basically describing to him like, okay, uh, you're going to have, you know, a slant on your right side. You're going to have a go route on the left and the audible to it is uh is a run left like 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 it's just you don't expect that in the NFL that you could get away with that and he he managed to do it so
1: yeah wow um,
0: crazy stuff
1: a little backyard football for sure yeah
0: for sure uh let's talk some college football okay um, did you catch or follow anything from the weekend
1: i kept up with the scores so the big takeaways in from from what i saw was that oklahoma state deep- beat oklahoma
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and then that will that uh, will
0: make um chris in cincinnati uh that made him happy. very upset upset, oh, upset. no he's oh, a, he's upset. an oklahoma fan
1: okay and so i'm, um, I'm and, confident
0: and now by mentioning this that we're gonna we're, we're gonna get a response on on uh on twitter
1: okay um and then uh i saw Rutgers was up at the half on ohio state is that is that right they were up nine seven yes um however OSU's a second half team, it seems, and came back and won that game.
0: It does seem that way. They won 35, uh, yeah, 35-16. Um, but not not the best performance for Ohio State. They've got to get, they have got to get better at starting quicker. Um it, you know, really the only game left for them is Michigan in in a few mm-hmm. weeks. They've got they've got Michigan State this week and they've got Minnesota. Neither of those teams is really any serious threat to challenge Ohio State. But um, they start super slow. And if they do that against a team like Michigan, they, you know, they could find themselves down, you know, 21, nothing kind of thing. So they got to get that figured out. Um, We'll circle back to that, uh, to the cheaters up north in a minute. But um, uh, other headlines from the college football weekend, uh, Alabama beat LSU. In a Mm -hmm. uh, entertaining game, though, there was a clearly what seemed like a targeting hit on the LSU quarterback that wasn't called, which seems strange. Uh, And then uh, Georgia beat Missouri, which that's a good win for Georgia. Hmm. And and I think uh, we had not seen the playoff rankings before the last episode. No. Uh, no. And so Ohio State did uh, start as the number one team in the playoff rankings which is just an example of the committee looked at their uh, resume and said they've got the best resume Hmm. Uh, because they don't look like the best team in the country. They, they clearly in terms of the eye test do not look like the best team in the country, but they still haven't lost. Right. Correct. I mean, mean correct. But, but just to give you a sense um, the line for the Ohio state, Michigan game, which is at Michigan, but still, Michigan's a seven-point favorite in that game.
1: A touchdown. Yeah. Wow. What did you make of – and maybe this is a good transition. Uh, what did you make of Rutgers uh, – I saw internet memes. They had four guys with four different colored sweatshirts Yes, on the sidelines. Uh, yes. All with big R's on them, which I, I assume was for Rutgers. Yeah. Putting out signals and signs for plays. Uh, maybe – Yes. Seemingly, at, at least – from from my vantage point seemed to be an effort to not have their signs stolen. Yeah, that's correct. Um what did, what did you make of that?
0: Uh I saw that and I thought of the Wiggles.
1: Are you familiar with the Wiggles?
0: No. It was this it was this children's uh program of these four Australian men who, you know, sang silly songs and that kind of stuff and they had their own little thing. And they each one of them wore a brightly colored different color shirt like the rutgers sidelines guys huh. hmm. um and so uh yeah they they were kind of a big deal when our kids were young so that's why i know of them
1: okay, okay. and we just
0: discovered by the way that there's apparently a documentary on amazon prime about them is that so, the one
1: is that your one thing you like this week
0: it's not it's not okay 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 uh but you know that's on the list of things we want to watch just out of curiosity they're australian as well so um. Okay. Uh. So let's talk briefly about the Michigan stuff. Uh. We're recording on a Tuesday. Uh. It seems likely the Big Ten is going to take some action. Uh. They've notified Michigan. Uh. That they are going to. They're, they're giving them like forty-eight hours to respond to the allegations. And uh, yeah, I, it'll be very curious to see what that action
1: is. And somebody resigned, right? I mean, somebody somebody in Michigan resigned over this.
0: Well, it's the it's it's the guy at the center of the scandal is a guy named yeah. Connor Stallions. Uh great name. Um Yeah, yeah. He's the one that spearheaded this whole um sign stealing operation. And and just to clarify, stealing signs is actually not against the rules. It's how he did it that is against the rules. It's going to an opponent's game. And using video technology to record the signals and then decipher them. That is clearly against the rules. Yep. Um, and the, the even more interesting thing is that there's video that surfaced of a guy that looks like this Connor Stallions guy. Okay. On the sideline for a Central Michigan football game. When they played Michigan State, which, of course, obviously Michigan plays Michigan State Mm -hmm. and Central Michigan seemingly can't figure out who that guy was or why he was there. Now, of course, the Central Michigan coach has Michigan ties Mm. to the program. So it seems pretty likely that it actually was this Michigan, quote unquote, recruiting analyst. Who this lo- you know this low- level staff or recruiting analyst who just happens to be seen all the time now, um, standing next to the offensive and defensive coordinators with large laminate sheets talking to them. But he's just a low-level recruiting analyst. That's all. you know. Yeah. Hmm. So it'll be very curious to see what what happens. Michigan's threatening lawsuits and everything like that. The Twitter stuff on this kind of thing is wild. I mean, you got Michigan fans like they were out there accusing Ryan Day uh, and his brother of hiring a private investigator to dig up this dirt. That.
1: Yeah, I saw that this week.
0: It was so dumb that basically the NCAA came out and said, there is absolutely no evidence that Ryan Day, his family, or anyone had any connection with anything related to this. Hmm. So when the NCAA has to come out and say, this is fan fiction here like it's it's getting pretty wild out there
1: yeah interesting hmm.
0: yes all right john we should probably move on sounds good so let's talk about our main topic for today so when we were uh, in the middle of our series on second peter one uh, we did come across uh, this article that we more or less flagged to uh, kind of circle back to And uh, the topic is, is broadly speaking, going to be, you know, just along the lines of why pastors leave the ministry, but it's prompted by this article uh, by a guy named, let's see, Reverend Alexander Lang, who was a pastor in the PC USA, not to be confused with the um, PCA. Those are pretty different uh, yep. versions of Presbyterianism. And so this was uh, late September, early October, I think when this article dropped and he basically gives a long reflection on why he's leaving pastoral ministry. So- um,
1: And he's in Arlington but, Heights there in Virginia, just outside DC.
0: No, Arlington Heights, uh, that's Chicago. Oh, is that Chicago? Isn't? Arlington Heights, that's the only Arlington Heights I'm aware of.
1: Oh oh I I think I saw Arlington and just assumed it was Virginia but you're right you're right Arlington Heights no Chicago in Virginia yeah okay
0: so like right around my old stomping grounds I lived in that area for <clears throat> 6 years uh so anyway let's let's we'll kind of bounce in and out of this article but let's start with uh the idea of just why why are pastors either quitting the ministry or wanting to quit um and he notes a survey by uh, barna from March of 2022 so you know about 18 months ago uh 42% of pastors considered considered quitting um and then they list the top 5 reasons uh stress of the job feeling lonely and isolated current political divisions unhappy with the effect this role has on my family and I'm not optimistic about the future of my church. So, what 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 comments do you have on on some of those uh, those sort of five, top five areas according to this Barna survey, as to why pastors are either leaving or considering
1: leaving? Well, I I mean, in the Barna study, the uh, I, I'm not sure. Like like I think we've heard for a long long time that there is a that being a pastor has incredible incredible stress. Uh, that I think he outlines nicely later on in, in the yeah. in the piece as to why, uh, and then I feel lonely and isolated. Like I, I think those are two things that we've heard for a long, long time, um, and are are not necessarily new, uh, but maybe mm-hmm. amped up a little bit in the last three years, um, in part due to the third piece uh, that politi- current political divisions. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't think those I don't think 1 and 2 the immense stress and feeling lonely and isolated are new. I think they are increased in the last few years. And then mm-hmm. uh number 4 I'm unhappy with the effect this has on my family. I uh, I I don't think that's new um yeah. either, although per- perhaps enhanced in the last uh, let's call it 5 years. And then uh, uh I I'd, I'd push back to probably 3. Uh, more than that, further back. Um, I, I mean, if we're, I,
0: I think if we're, seven, seven, I years? would go seven. I mean, I, again, I, I, we are loath to talk politics on this on this program, but uh, I think we can just simply note that I think those political divisions greatly intensified in the lead up to, uh, and part of the twenty sixteen
1: uh, election cycle. Uh, yes. Although uh, enhanced by the 2020 pandemic and some of the, the oh, uh, rules and things around that. Right. I mean, absolutely. that's when I felt like I began to hear about this stuff was in, was in the 2020, uh, pandemic cycle. Yeah. I think it, I think it went from, you know, it was on,
0: it was on, you know, medium high to like scorching
1: hot when it comes to the temperature on those things, yeah. But r- regardless, I I think three three of these are consistent in pastoral ministry throughout, at least as far as I could tell, and the current political division seems to be the uh, the great amplifier. Yeah, I think that's I think that's uh, spot on there. Um,
0: so again I think all of those uh are you know re- realities that pastors have to deal with um and we can maybe circle back to some of that in a, in a little bit but um what did you make of uh so he goes through in the article there and and talks about uh, a number of things part of, part of what he talks about is uh just the the weariness that comes from being that. Uh, he calls it enmeshed uh, in the lives of so many people uh, and knowing um, how, you know, just knowing the hard things going on in people's lives. Um, so I, I, that struck me as I think, well, that's, I think always been true to some degree mm-hmm. as well. Yes. But um, I, I don't know. Part of me found myself wondering how much of that too is just, I mean, obviously, you you know, some of that from just being uh, from personal interaction with people and being involved in lives, you know, he mentions doing funerals and weddings and going to the hospital to visit and, you know, just knowing that, you know, Joe and Sally are struggling in their marriage or whatever. But I wonder too, how much social media intensifies that, that even if you're not personally in, interacting with people sometimes based on social media stuff, you can also see uh, things must not be fully right with that person or with those folks. I think that's probably part of it too.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it gives them a way to complain, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I I do think we live in an age where everybody wants to complain about the way they're led or the way they're communicated to, or the way they're um, spoken to by people in leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, And Maybe maybe those conversations uh, those conversations always happen to some degree or level, but they were often in you know the lobby at church or over at dinner at somebody's house or yeah something like that. I mean now that now there's a platform where I'm gonna put this guy on blast and uh, mm-hmm. put it out on Facebook or Twitter or yeah threads. Uh, do people use threads? I have I have no clue, but I don't. know. Um, but uh, yeah yeah I, I mean I think it's enhanced some of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, criticisms of pastors for sure yeah and i think
0: <clears throat> this leads into a a natural place to talk about his section in the article on unrealistic expectations so uh let me just i'll hit these really quick as a list of bullet points and then okay. i'll let you jump in and, and see which uh which one you want to start with first in terms of commenting uh the first thing he mentions is just the uh <clears throat> the difficulties of becoming a pastor. Now again, this this varies widely depending on denominational context. But he talks about needing to have a bachelor's degree, then an mdiv and then um, you know, the length of the Mdiv, you know, three years typically at least. And then uh, though if you come to Grace College and theological seminary, you can do your bachelor's and mdiv in five years total there's your first plug for the, for the program there. Uh, and, uh, and then of course he talks about, you know, professional exams, or ordin- ordination, ordination exams, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. And he says, and then you get out and you make $55,000 a year, uh, which, you know, depending on where you live is a very different salary, right?
1: Oh yeah. Oh I yeah. I mean,
0: And he doesn't say that's what he makes. He says that's the average salary for a PC USA pastor. Well, if he's making that in Arlington Heights, Illinois, that's a problem. That's not easy to live on. Like, I'm I'm not saying you're like poor, poor, but like based on cost of living, that's that's not that's not ideal.
1: There, um, there is, uh, and I, I don't know enough about the PCUSA. Oftentimes, there is a housing allowance that comes to pastors, mm-hmm. or even a, even a, a home to live in, or sure. things like that as, as well. So, yeah, there, there are some of those things that I think um, lessen that burden. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, I think you're right, and I, I think he's right. That's depending on the space. That's not enough,
0: right? And one thing he doesn't mention here is if you come out of seminary and undergrad with significant debt, that makes mm-hmm. it even harder to live on that amount of money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And oh then, yeah. You know,
0: that, wife, know you kids like that's, yeah, that, that's, that's, uh, that, that can be challenging, but he lists seven areas where he believes pastors are expected to be proficient. Basically uh, a professional speaker, you know, preaching, mm-hmm. obviously, um, you're, you're expected to be like the CEO of a company um which includes uh managing the current people and bringing in new people uh you're expected to be a professional fundraiser mm-hmm. um you are expected to be a master of cer- oh, sorry human resources director so hiring and and firing and all that sort of stuff um a master of ceremonies you're the this is a, which is an odd term cuz he uses that to refer to you're the keeper of the bible and the guardian of orthodoxy i wouldn't put I don't master know how that's a term yeah yeah uh and then uh last one is you're sp- you're expected to be a pillar of virtue
1: yeah he also mentions counselor you have to be a professional counselor as well
0: oh i missed that one sorry yeah counselor yep. yes good so there's the seven um so what were your thoughts just as you reflected on this sort of list
1: Um, I, I think the master of ceremonies and pillars of virtue, I kind of got some, uh, some, some eye roll, uh, from me. Right. I mean, to, to get the job in general, you should have a a certain character about you. Mm -hmm. Um, and I master of ceremonies, I like performing weddings, performing funerals, preaching, like those, those are all things that people think about when they think about the job so Mm -hmm. um i well and even just the and kind of playing a professional speaker you know yeah so yeah well
0: and isn't part of that like this whole like keeper of the bible and guardian of orthodoxy well so it's weird that you're expected to have a strong grasp of the subject matter of your occupation yeah like I, i i expect my doctors to know the human anatomy, like really well, yeah. I don't think that's unreasonable. No, you know, I expect my my contractor to know the skills necessary really well to perform whatever job I've hired him to do.
1: Uh, I, so now, I will say I have a great deal of sympathy for him on the CEO, professional counselor, fundraiser, and human resources director. Like there, there is a lot that we ask. You know, it's sure. Not just asking him to preach on Sunday. We're asking him to run an organization.
0: Right, but here's where I would also just push back and say I don't think the biblical model is that the expectation is that one guy does all this. Absolutely. This is why you have a plurality of elders. Yes. Yeah. And even not just elders. Like like obviously I think that's central, but this mentality that well these are things that only el- only the lead guy can do or even only p- the the elders can do. No, not necessarily. Like if you if you have an understanding of the church where the body comes together and uses gifts and abilities and resources to serve, then some of these are absolutely areas where you should be able to say, okay, I'm going to delegate that. Now I still have to oversee what's going on there as the lead pastor,
1: but I don't have to do all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that's something that he neglects to bring up. And that was one thing I flagged is like, there's, there's no, there's no talk about uh, uh uh team of people or team mm-hmm. of elders or anything like that yeah uh and even just
0: i think it probably rubbed me the wrong way to hear him talk about being a fundraiser like that that's not a biblical when it comes to a church i don't like that term applied right yeah cuz god's people are although they're not required to tithe they are required to give
1: Mm hmm.
0: Like that is an expectation that God has of his people to give to the local church. And I don't know, to call it fundraising, I think just moves it into a different category where it's like, uh, um, I don't know, I, like, I don't feel like at our church, I, I don't feel our pastor does not fundraise in that sense. You know, I, I feel like it's um, he thanks, you know, he thanks the congregation weekly now. Basically for generous giving, we have regular reports. We do announce like, "Hey, we have needs for this," and even this upcoming uh, December, I think we're doing the giving trees again, where yeah, you put the things out and are like, "Hey, here's a need in our community or in our, you know, you can give towards this." And that, so,
1: I I mean, speaking as a full time fundraiser, yeah, uh, uh, some of those <laughs> events could be seen as fundraisers, and sure, potentially, uh, like like I was just. I was just in Ohio talking to a pastor and they're in the middle of a building project. Mm -hmm. And um, he was giving me a tour of the building. And right after he was giving a tour to a guy who paid for the building, you know? (laughs) Uh, And, you know, in a sense that's fundraising, but yet different at at the same time. Like, um, would you feel differently if they're in the middle of a capital campaign calling it fundraising and things like that? I think that's different. I just think I,
0: I would want to distinguish between the sort of regular consistent giving to the ministry of the church and it, and, it, and the church's ministries and missionaries and stuff like that. I would want to distinguish that from distinct projects like, well, we need to we need a new building. OK, I'm a little more comfortable calling that fundraising for a specific um, non-consistent need kind of thing. Yeah like talking about you know i basically raising the funds for my own salary well i, I just don't think I, is that true at one level well sort of but that's different than the missionary i think even who's like going out and saying yeah. i'm going on to the field and i need to have my expenses met as opposed to let's give to the local church and as part of that one part of that expense ends up being paying the salary of the pastor or pastors or whatever
1: Hmm. i
0: don't know i I would just probably make some distinctions in there
1: any case um what uh uh, what did you make of the uh section on uh, where he talked about this pastor who he heard on a on a podcast um talk about he was shaking so badly when he tried to pick up mm -hmm. his his spoon and he you know he went to the doctor and basically diagnosed him with ptsd <laughs> um from from some of the damages that have mm-hmm. happened to him at being in pastoral ministry for so long
0: oh i have no doubt that that happens
1: no doubt um i mean there, there's
0: a lot of understandable attention paid to uh you know abusive pastors who use their spiritual authority and position um in an unbiblical way and cause hurt and damage to people that's real it happens. Yeah. But I think there's a little bit less talk sometimes of the abuse that abuse goes the con- other direction. Congregations where c- Congregations abuse their pastors. Um and this this wasn't necessarily a case of abuse like this could just be really the the scenario he describes is someone who has taken on too much of the burden and has too much uh on them. And they're not, they're just not able to handle the emotional weight of all of the crises and situations
1: that, uh, that they experience. I, I, I broadly agree with you. Although I will say the way he, and I haven't listened to the podcast that he's talking about, um, but he he says he ended up counting 180 different lost relationships due to death or people leaving the church, um, these were, uh, he was never given a chance to mourn, but had to continue in his leader as regardless of his, uh, how emotionally painful these severed relationships may have been. Mm-hmm. Um, that still feels differently to me than what you're describing, right? Where yeah. there's uh, where there's abuse taking place by a congregation. Um, sure. So, I, yeah, I don't know. I think that's true. Um, and I do think, but again, this is where
0: and we've talked about, this gets back to the loneliness piece, right? That pastoral ministry can be lonely mm-hmm. because you, you hear all of these hard situations that you are oftentimes not at liberty to share with really anyone else. Yeah. You know, a couple comes in or, you know, someone comes in and they're like, I've discovered my spouse has been cheating on me. You know, and that's heavy and that's weighty. Oh, and, yeah. You know, I think it's often difficult because pastors don't have, uh, in some cases at least, um, people that they can talk to and process those kinds of things with. Which, again, I would say this is why plurality of elders is a good thing, mm-hmm. um, that there's a level of of confidentiality and shared responsibility where you can lean on one another Um, so I think that's, that's something. And as well, I think it's why it's valuable for pastors to, um, to form friendships with other pastors in the community that they can talk with, you know, obviously you can't share certain specifics and things like that, but to be able to speak in generalities of I'm having a really hard time, you know, dealing with this difficult situation in my ministry, you know, and. To be able to talk to someone who, like, yeah, I know what that's like.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So, um, yeah. okay, we should probably start wrapping up this discussion. Uh, but I did want to say, since you and I are both in the in the realm of preparing future pastors for ministry, yeah, what are some things uh, that we can do? And it may not be class sort of stuff, right? It may just be more like discipleship kind of things, but what are some ways we can better prepare pastors to deal with these realities talked about, uh, in,
1: in this article? Um, well, I think he just hammered on one pretty, pretty well. I think, I think forming friendships, uh, even outside your church with other pastors, people going through similar things. Um, I know in, uh, uh I know, uh, I, I talk to pastors sometimes and they'll have, um, uh, weekly or monthly Zoom calls where they're all getting together, you know, the same denomination to to mm-hmm. chat and talk about what they're experiencing, what they're going through, the hard things of ministry, stuff like that. I was in Ohio and I know there's a group of pastors in the Columbus area that get together, I think, monthly to to talk about some of those things. So mm-hmm. that'd be one way. Uh, I, I also think one of the themes that we've kind of hit on has been the plurality of elders uh, piece as well. Uh, yeah. And that that I think is, is isn't also uh, a good thing. Um, and I, I, I think talking about those things in the seminary context can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Those those are just a couple of things that come to mind.
0: Yeah. And I also would, I would add, um, this is where, uh, internships and apprenticeships can be so valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the more of a realistic picture someone gets of what pastoral ministry is like from those internships, uh, I think the better prepared they can be for those realities. Um, you know, not that, not that an intern's always going to be privileged privilege privy to all of the details that are, but, you know, sometimes I think they can be too sheltered from some of the, the harder edges oh, or the no. more difficult conversations or the hard situations that uh, that pastors have to wrestle with. And, you know, there's a dynamic there. You want to be careful about not sharing too much or breaking confidentiality and those kinds of things. But I don't think we do our uh, our future pastors any good by shielding them from some of that. So, yep. Uh, also, by the way, uh, did you catch the uh, his description yes. of the last service there?
1: Yes. Yeah, yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, he he noted. I, that the, I sat here.
1: I was like, Coldplay.
0: Yeah. You too? mentioned how great the music was. Coldplay, uh, you two and the Beatles. Like, well, that might tell you something right there about what's going on in that church. So
1: <laughs> anyway. Just wild. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah. All right. We should probably move on. You ready to move on? Sure. Time now for this day in sports history.
1: All right, this day in sports history. Uh, November the seventh. Uh I guess it's 2023 um not for much longer though yeah uh 1943 on this day in 1943 uh the giant new york giants and the detroit lions had a scoreless tie in the nfl yeah 1943 Uh, and somehow it had more more offense than the jets um the
0: last time it happened that's what makes it that's the last scoreless tie in nfl history
1: that's wild uh 1991 Magic Johnson announces he has HIV the HIV virus and retires from the Lakers. Now obviously you'd have been too young to remember this. I was 3.
0: Yeah. Uh but I remember how how big of a deal it was. In part because uh there was still a lot that was unknown about HIV and AIDS. Mm-hmm. Like it was that was still very early in the like I mean when when that was announced it was like he's going to die in like a few years. Like, I mean, that was yeah, really yeah. like the, the, what people I think were expecting. And it was just on the cusp of some of these new treatments that were beginning. And so obviously, you know, magic Johnson's been, you know, he's lived another 30 plus years. He's still alive. And, and, and is, I think other than the, other than still being HIV positive, like
1: I, I think he's seems to be doing fine. Owns the Dodgers now. Yeah. Part owner, the Dodgers. Yep. Um, yeah, and then a year later played on the dream team, right? 92? Am I getting
0: that? Um, yes. And there were, there was some controversy about that, you know, just concerns about what happens if he gets yeah. cut and there's blood or something. Like again, that was all just it was a new area of uncertainty of how does this work?
1: Yeah, for yep. sure. Uh 2008, Jerry Sloan, um almost a great last name, uh, becomes the first NBA Becomes the first coach in NBA history to reach a thousand wins with a single franchise, the Utah Jazz.
0: Yeah. Had some great Utah teams. They, of course, had the Carl Malone, John Stockton combo, oh, yeah. ran into the uh, you know, all time great Chicago Bulls uh dynasty and lost in the finals
1: two years in a row to them. Um, I always, I always appreciate the Utah Jazz because, of course, they were in New Orleans first, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and that's where they get the name Jazz from because New Orleans yeah. is a great jazz town. Utah, not, not so quite, much. Not quite as <laughs> known for jazz. Yeah. Um, 2010, Indianapolis quarterback Peyton Manning starts his 200th consecutive game. Uh, a 26-24 loss at Philadelphia. Manning joins Brett Favre as the only quarterback in NFL history to start. 200 consecutive games that's a yes. lot of games when you're only playing you know 16 17 a season yeah now i'm assuming that just counts
0: regular season games maybe not but still you know if you're playing 16 games a year that that gets you to like it's at least 12 years 12 13 years
1: yeah that's impressive that's impressive um 2022 just a year ago uh french tennis star at uh, uh caroline Garcia. Scores the biggest title win of her career, beating Arna Sabalenka uh, in the WTA finals in Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah, I think it's Arina Sabalenka. Well, I got the last name right. That's really what I care about. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Whatever I get right, I really care about. There
0: you go. Uh, So what do you like out of that list?
1: Um. I kind of like Peyton Manning. Have we had many Peyton Mannings? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I can go with that. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Peyton Manning. One thing you liked? Uh, one thing I liked, uh, I have been reading a biography of Samuel Adams uh, that came out last year. I'm about, oh, I'm probably three quarters of the way through it um, by Stacy Schiff, I believe is her last name and uh samuel adams fascinating character um probably the most impoverished founding father uh and there's a great line in there the greatest way to lose a fortune in is to start a newspaper uh, hmm. which might still be true
0: um well, it's probably more truer today than it was back in his day
1: yeah yeah so it was you know he was um a lot of propaganda by Samuel Adams floating around the Boston pretty much orchestrated the tea party that's kind of what I'm at mm-hmm. now is at the is at the Boston tea party and uh you know he he was pretty eloquent with the, with the pen but also a lawyer also harvard educated um s- smart cookie that Samuel Adams and
0: to what extent does this biography uh go into uh his effect his his uh, appreciation of beer
1: so his father um, was like the guy that made the mash for the beer and mm. he took that up, but I, th- I think leaves it behind for the, for newspapering at some point. I see. see. And made, no mon- made no money, made no money. People were just giving him money to continue what he was doing, hmm. uh, basically, nope. and, and politicking around Boston. Okay. Fascinating guy. Fascinating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I debated, you see the rundown there. I've got two that I really went back and forth with. I was kind of hoping you'd pick the first one and then I could just add, you know,
1: yeah, sorry. piggyback
0: on the second one. But um, so I'm going to go with uh, the Guy Fox party that I attended this past weekend. Interesting
1: um, choice by you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I was not intimately familiar with Guy Fawkes, but. Uh, Basically, so our uh, our worship director, uh, Ben in Warsaw, uh, formerly Ben in England, uh, he uh, threw a large uh, Guy Fawkes party. And basically it was described to me originally as this is sort of the the closest equivalent we Brits have to a Fourth of July kind of Mm -hmm. celebration. Uh, and there's a whole history behind it. Apparently, uh, this goes back what 400 years, something like that. Uh, this was during the time when uh, England was kind of bouncing back and forth between being Protestant and being Catholic. Yeah. And it was during the time when they were Protestant that this guy named Guy Fox, who was a uh, who wanted the, the yes wanted wanted the country to be Catholic. Mm-hmm. Decided that the best way to accomplish that goal was to plant a bunch of gunpowder to try to blow up Parliament. Which and, contained
1: a bunch of Puritans. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, and so he was discovered. Uh on, and this was this happened on November 5th. Mm-hmm. And so uh since that time, on November 5th, they they have commemorated this event of discovering this uh Catholic who was trying to blow up uh, parliament and was unsuccessful, and so they celebrate this discovery by celebrating with fireworks. And the the big thing they celebrate with is they create an effigy of Guy Fawkes and they burn him. Hmm. Now, the Guy Fawkes party I attended did not have the effigy part. I think that was yeah, ruled out yeah. by the party hosts.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that, that sounds very 1700s. Uh, to, as I'm reading <laughs> yes. Samuel Adams' biography, yeah. there's a lot of effigies being burned. A lot of <laughs> effigies. A lot of effigies.
0: Um, so anyway, the party had a lot of good food, lots of fun people, good fireworks. Uh, it was a beautiful property. Uh, hmm. And so just uh, a lot of fun with the Guy Fox night.
1: That's fun. That's yeah. fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, John, we should probably wrap this up. I've got an academic affairs meeting to attend to get to here. And boy, let me tell you, those are so I hear much those fun. are barn burners. Yeah. Woo, man. Uh yeah. Now if we added the guy Fox elements to that, you know, that that'd make it a little more interesting. Is it
1: but, is it also called Bonfire Night? Or uh I'm not um, sure. Okay. Okay. I thought I saw that somewhere. So Yeah. I mean there's
0: a whole famous poem. Uh, that begins like re- remember remember the 5th of november it's this the little short treason and plot
1: i can yeah. think of no reason the gun or the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot yeah yeah so yeah. um anyway all right john we have talked
0: uh college football nfl football um we have talked about why pastors leave the ministry We have talked about Peyton Manning starting 200 consecutive games. We've talked about Sam Adams, the biography, not the beer, though the beer was mentioned.
1: And we talked
0: about Guy Fawkes night. And so I think by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And all that's left to say is, until next time, the Lord bless you all real good.
1: Later.